0: Everybody, welcome to episode 74 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. I am very interested in seeing the reaction to today's episode. It is a roundtable discussion about our human impact on the outdoors, the challenges we face, and what we can do about those things. This may be one of my favorite, if not my favorite, episode of this season. I know it sounds like it could be preachy and it could be homework. I do not feel like it turned out that way. I think our guests were great and I really hope You all take the time to listen to this one. I think it is a very worthwhile discussion. So who are those guests? Well, one of them you've heard on the show twice before, Alan Gigax. You may recall him from previous episodes of the show. He and Heidi Kaiser, who is new to the show, are both writers for Nevada's Desert Companion magazine. And the both of them have written stories and continue to write stories that deal particularly with these issues in the outdoors and so they were two great people to have on the show to talk about how our interactions with the world around us affected in negative and positive ways so instead of spending any more time talking about what we will be talking about let us get to the show
1: I'm Heidi Kaiser. I am a journalist by trade, and I am also a backpacker, hiker, camper, cyclist, yoga instructor, yoga practitioner, too, obviously. Big fan of dogs. Do a little bit of rescue. Just a general outdoor enthusiast. By day, I am a writer at Desert Companion Magazine, which is the monthly magazine of Nevada Public Radio. And I just kind of started getting involved in broadcasting as well, doing some hosting and producing of state of Nevada, which is KMPR's daily local show. And
2: my name is Alan Gigax, and I am a mailman by day, so I don't really get what I'm doing here.
1: <laughs> oh, wait,
2: I also, uh, I write for the same magazine as Heidi Kaiser. I'm an outdoors writer, freelance outdoors writer for Desert Companion Magazine. And more to the topic today, I run a huge hiking group here in Las Vegas that's on the meetup.com. It's called Vegas Hikers, and we are about to hit the 20,000 member mark. And this entire episode was your
0: idea. Thus, the other reason why you're here. That is true. (laughs) That is true. So, what we are here to talk about today specifically is human impact in the outdoors. And I think before we get into all of the negatives of that, let's immediately discuss the pros of why it is important personally to get out in nature and why you think it's important for other people
2: to also get out in nature before we start telling them how they should do it. For me, it's grounding, it's soothing, it's calming. I have a pretty hectic daily life. I work overtime. work. I do writing on the side. I have a lot of irons in the fire. And then at home, if you've listened to my previous podcast with Jason, you know, I have a disabled wife at home. And so I wind up doing a lot of the housework at home as well. And there's not a lot of time for rest. And so I find when I'm out on hikes, I can just be in the present moment and I can relax and and unwind. And it's also good exercise on top of that. At a time like today, it's especially relevant that it gets me out of the oppressive heat of the Las Vegas Valley. So it's good for the soul. It's good to unwind wine. It's good to unplug. It really, really treats me well. And then on top of that, because I run a big hiking group, I'm hiking with friends all the time and hiking with new people. And I've forged a tremendous number of relationships with other outdoors people. They tend to be mellow, easygoing, easy to get along with. And I would say now most of the friends that I have are people that I've met through the hiking group.
1: I recently wrote a feature for Desert Companion about the various ways that people cope with severe trauma. So I started off looking at survivors of the October first shooting in Las Vegas and then I ended up branching out from there and I was looking at sex trafficking survivors, military veterans with combat PTSD, and I began to find that in addition to therapy, potentially medication and other sort of traditional treatments, people are also turning to groups and communities focused on activities. And one of the activities that I focused on was hiking, since that's something that I do for myself, spiritually and physically and emotionally. And I put out a call to Alan's group, Vegas Hikers, and said, hey, is there anybody out there who has experienced severe trauma and has incorporated hiking as part of his or her treatment plan to cope with that living with trauma? The response was incredible. I probably got 15 to 20 emails back from people. And Jason, these were not people who were sort of like your run-of-the-mill, you know, anxiety and depression. Not that I am not trying to minimize those, those afflictions because they're very serious. But these are people who had suffered serious trauma, uh, shootings, abuse, trafficking, that kind of thing, and have turned to being in the outdoors as a way of sleeping better, being able to focus, As Alan said, being in the moment, taking your mind out of those thought patterns and flashbacks and the things that you live through when you live with trauma day to day. I mean, even though there's been ample studies and tests that show that it does have therapeutic benefits, I think just hearing those stories for me really, really drove home how beneficial it is to be outside to be on the trail to you know conquer a summit to become self-reliant all of those all those aspects of it
2: yeah you talk about uh, being in the present moment and i did as well you know i have an app on my phone that's a mindfulness bell that every once in a while will just boom and it's a reminder to take a breath and be in the present moment and i've noticed if it goes off while i'm hiking totally not necessary that is that is where I am. I'm out hiking. Yeah, don't worry about it. I got it covered.
1: Yeah. Just the obligation of watching where you're placing your feet, being prepared for weather events. I, I'm a backpacker as well. I know you are, too, Jason. And when you forget something critical, my sister and I did a three day backpacking trip in March up on the Sam Houston Trail in Texas. And she forgot our lighter. <laughs> so, you know, having to overcome Those obstacles, just Mm -hmm. the benefits to me seem endless.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, in a weird way, one of the benefits I get from being out there is that hiking, especially if you're alone out in the wilderness, it can make you feel small it can make you kind of feel your actual place in nature and vulnerable. Feeling like that, for me, really gets you in touch with your surroundings. I mean, you talk about you hear every noise if you're in a tent alone at night. And that's stuff that just goes completely unnoticed when you're in a busy urban environment. You feel small and you feel
0: tiny, but it isn't in this sort of negative way. It's like you no. you become aware of how you exist in this larger framework, this structure, this ecosystem or something of this sort. And you, you start to see all these links and places that maybe otherwise you wouldn't. And then you start to value things other than yourself more highly. I agree.
1: agree. Yeah. Interconnectivity is a huge, a huge piece of it for me because you do understand how you contribute and take away from your environment. And also, I do feel small sometimes, but I also feel really huge and strong sometimes too when I've overcome a, something really difficult. You know, when I... When I've done 3,000 feet over the course of seven miles and several hours, and I get there, I just kind of feel like there's nothing I can't do.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's <laughs> so empowering I feel as well. huge, mm-hmm. yep, Yeah, definitely.
0: I think we all are in agreement that it is valuable. If anyone had any doubts that I thought that, <laughs> I don't know why they would doubt it, seeing as there's an entire show that we're all on right now revolving around why people should get outdoors. So we should start to talk about what we're here to talk about, which is the human impact on nature. It's a topic that I think most people are familiar with to a certain degree, but perhaps there's still people that don't realize that our actions have repercussions. So do you guys want to start to explain to people what kind of impact we do have when
2: we go outdoors? I'll start from my own experience because I was one of the negative land users when I first started hiking. I didn't understand the impact that I had on the trails. I'm sure Heidi and I will mention a lot of local trails, so if you're listening outside of Las Vegas, just bear with us. Use your imagination with your own local trails. But one situation that stands out with me in particular is a hike called Mary Jane Falls. It's at Mount Charleston, and it goes up to this fall, and there's a bunch of switchbacks. It's used by a lot of families. They have a terrible problem on that hillside of trail cutting. That trail is just destroyed by people cutting the trail. And to see it now, it drives me crazy. But I think back to when I was a teenager, and even later, that I would go up there, and i that trail all the time. Oh, what's the point of these switchbacks? I'm a strong guy, I can just go straight up the side of the hill. And I never knew the impact that I was having by doing that, how I was actually destroying the hillside. Unless people go out with responsible stewards or learn some sort of stewardship lessons, you know, I think they do it without even thinking about it. I mean, even litter. I think people don't realize how much impact that litter can have. They think, oh, it's just a wrapper, it's just a can, or you know, I'd go out with my buddies out on the lake and when they drop their beer bottle into the lake, that's, oh, I'm making a home for the fish. They don't realize how much that builds up over time and how much that impacts over time. But the three of us being outdoors people, I mean, Lord knows, do we see it now? And do we know the impact that that has? Because when you go out to these public lands now, especially the popular places, they're just covered in litter, and the trails are cut all over the place. And it's, it's so disheartening, you know, to be someone now who is so in love with nature and to see what's happening because of how much visitation these, these places are getting by people who just don't get. The impact that they're having and don't hike responsibly, it, it's very disheartening. And I know that's obviously a lot of what we're going to talk about today.
0: The particular thing you mentioned about trash, I, I think that's one of the most obvious ones, but I think one of the things people take for granted and what was really just banged home to me this January, I took a trip down to Chapas in Mexico, and there is a cave that people consider a cave canyon. It's uh, called Chorria de Arruana. It's basically this cave that has waterfalls and slides and jumps throughout. And so you start the tunnel, time- That sounds awesome. It's amazing. And you make your way through, and it's a canyoneering adventure underground. But it made it so clear that every time people throw litter on the ground, it ends up in a waterway. Because Mm -hmm. as we went through this secluded cave, this secluded canyon, Mm -hmm. which certain areas of it you cannot easily access, I would look 30, 40 feet up in the cave, and I would see plastic bottles embedded in the top from when it last flashed from a flash flood. And it just made it so clear to me that... When you throw trash on the ground, you think it's gone, but it's not. Where it's going to end up is the lowest point, and the lowest point is always a place where water is, and water is what we need for life. Yeah, that's a great point.
1: My my stepson and his best friend recently went camping. They actually came to pick us up in Mammoth Lakes, my husband and I, following a, a long backpacking trip that we did, and they camped for a couple of nights up near Red's Meadow. The best friend, and I, this is not to, <laughs> I hate to call him out, but uh, he grew up in the outdoors. He grew up fishing and camping with his dad and doing a lot of ATV sports and stuff like that. They had been camping and I don't remember how it came up, but they were talking about washing their dishes in the river. And my husband and I were kind of horrified. We were like, you guys shouldn't be washing your dishes in the river. Like you need to get some water out of the river and go at least a hundred feet away and make sure that the water goes someplace far from the flow. He was surprised by that. These are guys in their early 20s and asked why. And I gave him the example of while my husband and I were backpacking, when we were looking to replenish our water that we were carrying, we were always considering where we were with respect to the downflow. Mm -hmm. So who's above us? Are there any cow pastures? Is there any human civilization? You know, to what level do we need to filter the water? And I explained to him, if you're above someone else and the water is flowing down, everything you put in that water goes to them. And if you think about the numbers of people, which I know we're going to talk about later, but if you think about the numbers of people that are visiting these parks, that's millions and millions of dishes washed in that park every year and everything off of those plates is going into that into that flow. And so I try to give really concrete examples, especially for young people who are just starting to get outdoors a lot. I try to give them concrete examples like that because I'm kind of surprised that they seem to not be learning it otherwise
0: well we have a separation from things right like we put our trash in a box it goes out on the street or in a dumpster and it disappears and Mm -hmm. we don't have to worry about it And then you visit a country like Mexico, where I was, it doesn't have that same infrastructure, and they don't do that. So you see trash being burned on sidewalks. You drive along highway systems where you see huge quantities of trash along the side. We did a canyon where we coined the term trash whacking because we sincerely were walking across the equivalent of a landfill at moments because there's nowhere for this trash to go and so in our society where it just disappears we've lost that connection to it so much so that I was in Yosemite years ago and I overheard this conversation with a woman she was on the mist trail right maybe maybe two miles in looking at Nevada Falls I believe it is at that point she's like "Ah, oh, there's no trash can here oh, but what, am I, what am I supposed to do with all this trash and I remember thinking like is that what you want your park funds to go to more trash cans or do you want your park funds to go to actually maintaining more important Important portions of this trash in people's minds are a byproduct of a thing that's not useful so I have a container of water or orange juice or something and that is useful now it is empty it is not useful to me anymore it needs to not be in my presence and and I think we have to change that concept that thought yeah,
1: I think the concept of pack in pack out is really foreign to a lot of the I don't want to call them casual new hikers but yeah casual, casual hikers yep. I think a lot more people are starting to get Leave No Trace, don't you, Alan? It may
2: just be the circles that we run in.
1: Could be. Yeah, I feel you know. like that's been a fairly good branding effort, though. Oh, definitely. It's, it kind of seems to be permeating the permeating the consciousness right. of the REI crowd. <laughs> yeah, Let's, <laughs> right? so Let, it, let's, it,
0: let's explain to people what Leave No Trace is for those that don't know or, okay. or so have only heard it as LNT. Right. And didn't so know right. it's that a meant.
2: general guideline where you want to leave the land the way you found it or better, cleaner than the way... Uh, it was when you got there. So you don't drop any litter. Uh, you try to stick on the established trails. If you're going to go off trail, you need to be, you know, one person at a time. So you're not trampling a new trail. You essentially want the land to look the way it was when you got there or even better. And that gets into minutia of campfires, how to build a leave no trace campfire. You can actually build a campfire that doesn't scar the ground. Uh, there are ways to get your water. There are ways to go to the bathroom. There are methods for almost anything that you'll do while in the outdoors that minimize our impact on the land. And that's what Leave No Trace is all about.
1: Yeah, there's this really great slogan that people can remember, take only photographs, leave only footprints. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the basic idea and i do feel like that's gaining a foothold pardon the pun Ah. (laughs) Um, but i think that that step further is where we where some of the push needs to come from the the idea of pack Mm -hmm. in pack out not being afraid to talk about things like how you pee and poo and you know how Mm -hmm. you pee and poop in the wilderness and all those kinds of things because Mm -hmm. for instance here at red rock canyon national conservation area people going to the bathroom in the wilderness is a really huge problem oh,
2: on any of the more popular trails there you get four feet off the trail you're going to see toilet paper
1: yeah and yeah. there are areas There, some of the really popular rock climbing areas and i checked oh, sure. before coming over here today uh, red rock gets around two million visitors annually and it's not a wow. very big area there are areas the really popular rock climbing areas mm-hmm. where you go that actually smell like urine when you walk up to the, you know, the approaches.
2: Right, like Black Corridor and yeah, some of those other, yeah. Yeah,
1: so that's a problem. And getting back to why do we care about that? Those are the habitats of some really great species, you know, setting aside the threatened and endangered species that mm-hmm. are found all over the Mojave Desert and all over the world. There are animals living out there. I mean, think about if it's your home, you know, <laughs> That's destruction. You're Mm -hmm. destroying their food supply. You're destroying their their access to water and shade. You're adding toxic waste to their environment and that reduces their numbers, has a huge direct impact on everything that's out there, plants, animals, water. You mentioned,
0: you mentioned something about, think about it being their home. And I would say even think about it being your own home, because mm-hmm. in a sense, it really is. All of this will feed back into the environment you live in. And and I think that would make another great L&T principle, which is treat the environment like it's your home. If you would not do this to your house, right. don't do it when you're outside.
2: Right. Yeah, people don't put orange peels on the ground in their own home. (laughs) At least I hope they don't. And they certainly better not put banana peels, <laughs> because that's, that's also a, a safety they, hazard.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's and that's a hilarity a, hazard. Yes, yeah, exactly. that's a, yeah, that's a great point. One thing that I see all the time, and it really surprises me, and this is where I was saying, like, I think we need to push that. Leave No Trace is a great place to start, but I'd like to see it pushed a little farther, because I think a lot of people think that if it's biodegradable, it's all right.
0: Mm-hmm. So so let's go over that, because orange peels is definitely
2: one yeah. of those banana, things. Banana peels, sunflower yeah. seashells. So, so people think, like, I have an apple core. I can throw people. that out and doing, when I first cool? started hiking even when I first started taking groups out with meetup under my care I was doing that I was leaving my orange peels behind and my apple course behind because again I didn't know any better and so the outreach and education that leave no trace is doing I mean I hope you're right Heidi that it is reaching people and it is having an effect everyone who gets taught leave no trace you know hopefully they pass that on to the people they know and clearly they are teaching people so the word is getting out you know again unless you're out there with other responsible land users those lessons May never hit home. Uh, That was certainly the case for me. I had to be taught that it's not okay to leave those things behind, especially here in the desert, you know, where there's very little bacteria in the soil, there's very little moisture to break these things down. And an orange peel might be on the trail for a year before it. Becomes unrecognizable. It really is a problem. I do cleanups out at Red Rock and out at Mount Charleston, and we pick that stuff up like crazy. And the other thing we pick up like crazy is poo bags, where they've gone right. to the trouble of right. putting it in the bag and it drives me crazy.
0: They take a product that we don't want on the trail, but right. that is naturally biodegradable, right. and they put it inside a plastic bag, yeah. which will not degrade for millions of years potentially, mm-hmm. and then place it on the trail.
2: Oh, yeah. So
1: disheartening. Yeah. I, I think a good way of looking at it is if it's not native to the area, you know, right. if, if there's not an orange tree growing on the trail, right? The, yeah, the orange peels on the ground are going to add things to that soil and things to that environment that mm-hmm. are not native. Unless you're a scientist, you don't know what the long-term impact of that is going to be. You don't know how it might adversely affect the insect or plant or animal life that's going to happen on it. You just don't know, and that's where the pack in, pack out principle mm-hmm. becomes really important if. If you're eating something, put it in a plastic bag, put it in your backpack, take it out. Even if it's an apple core, something that seems harmless to you put it in your backpack and take it back out.
2: Mm -hmm. I would imagine that most of the people listening to this podcast already know this. You know, so the real question here is how do we transfer these lessons to the more casual users of public land? How do we get people to use the public lands more responsibly? And that's, you know, that's what I want to get out of this podcast is obviously we're not going to solve the world's problems sitting around here. But, you know, what strategies can listeners use to spread the word to, you know, even if even though it's just the three. of us here, I know you have a large audience and what can they do while they're out hiking to help minimize these impacts and to help be ambassadors for Leave No Trace and for our public land. So I'm gonna
0: raise one of the solutions that a lot of people think is a great solution, but I have a feeling none of us will be, will be fans of, and unfortunately, we probably won't have a person here to argue that <laughs> other side. But one of the solutions, mm-hmm. and this is in particular communities, very popular, is don't tell people about cool places and keep them <laughs> hidden.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't think that's realistic, realistic. solution <laughs> yeah, in, a, no. in, in a social media age. I mean, look at what happened at Havasupai Falls, which was one of you know the best kept secrets mm. in, it was. in until hiking the internet, and backpacking yeah. communities until Instagram. I mean, you right. know, and that doesn't seem like a realistic solution. I'm curious to know, because you guys do so much outdoor activity. How do you handle it? Have you ever come across someone who's littering or has just left a orange, a banana peel on the ground, (laughs) or is cutting a trail? And what do you do?
2: You know, it's difficult because I'm non-confrontational by nature. I'm not going to fist fight somebody sometimes when you call somebody out and I've certainly have called people out on that and say, Hey, you know, could you please not cut the trail? And then they get upset. Hey, you know, who are you to tell me where to hike? This is my land too. And, and you know, they get upset, they get confrontational. That's a very awkward experience. It's easier when I'm out with a group and I have 20 people with me and they already respect you. Yeah. That already respect me as their organizer and respect the outdoors. Then I suddenly, somehow I feel a lot more brave in those situations. So that helps but I've been out on my own as well. I find that usually people, uh, when confronted, are sheepish about it and they may not realize the damage that they're doing. And so when I confront somebody, and I'll be honest, a lot of times I don't, a lot of times I don't have the courage to confront somebody. But when I do confront somebody, I try to do it where the rationale is built in. You know, I just saw somebody on uh, cathedral rock cutting the trail and I said, hey, could you please not cut the trail? It erodes the hillside and it causes damage to the trail that eventually is gonna wear, wear the area away and it damages the hill itself. And the guy said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. No problem. And, yeah. and that was it. And it was over. He was hiking with a group who the other people were using the trail. Mm. And I think they didn't have the courage to say anything to <laughs> him. So there was a peer pressure there and there were other people around. That was one of the times that it went positively, which is good because I wound up hiking down the hill at about the same pace as that guy. And that would have been pretty awkward. It was awkward enough anyway. You know, there are times where people get really upset about that. And I. Who am I? I'm just a dude. I don't have an authority.
1: Well, I think the answer the answer to my question is implicit in what you said, which is when you're in a leadership position, people are already disposed, you know, to listen oh, yeah. to you, right? So maybe the thing to do for people who are interested, listeners who are interested is find opportunities to be in those leadership positions. So volunteer to lead hikes, sign up for organizations that do things like trail cleanups. We have a group here in Nevada called Friends of Nevada Wilderness. Similar groups exist all over the United States and they do something really cool in areas where trails have been cut a lot. They go out and they create natural barriers so they use whatever is already there to block where the trail has been cut and direct people toward the established trail so they'll use dead branches and rocks and things Mm -hmm. like that volunteering with a group like that or volunteering to lead hikes and sharing Mm -hmm. those ethics can can really go a long way because you reach a lot of people Right. right
2: and to that point when i'm organizing a group and people have come out with me If somebody in the group does that, I have no problem telling them, hey, that's not okay. This is why. And I'll use that as a teachable moment. And sometimes when we see other people doing things that don't respect the land, I'll use that as a teachable moment for the group. You know, for me, I came into this interview with an agenda, which is, I think, where a lot of the solution is, is in group hiking with responsible organizers, because I bring new people out onto the trail all the time. People who don't know about creating social trails and about litter and and biodegradable and things like that and I make it a point to try to teach those principles as we hike along and I use teachable moments and when we see a social trail going off you know this is how that happens to me that's made a big impact on the people that I hike with or I presume that it has and to me that's part of the solution is that if you are a responsible land user even if you're not going to confront strangers on the trail you're gonna be on the trail with friends with people who hopefully respect you who you can talk to And I think you have a duty to at least talk to those people. Even if you can't reach everyone, you can reach the people in your circle.
1: I'm just curious what you do, (laughs) Jason. (laughs) I I mean,
2: it's a tricky thing,
0: right, because, especially with strangers, because first you have to try to gauge whether they actually care. Yeah. And if you can tell that they don't actually care, there's nothing you can really do other than hope they mature eventually and see the error of their ways. In the same way that all three of us probably have at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it's people that are with you, uh, you can have those conversations as they happen. Sometimes you can have those conversations before if that topic comes up. A lot of people that I do activities with will try to clean up. We were just camping with a group of people up at Sawmill Flat over in the Sierra. This woman in the group, Sarah, the day that we were all leaving camp, she said, hey guys, uh, if you don't want to participate, that's cool, but there's a thing I like to do. I like to try to leave the place better than I found it. So she pulls out a garbage Bag, and she's like, I'm going to walk around and pick up trash. If anybody Mm -hmm. else wants to help, that's cool, but you don't have to, which is a good way to approach it. And it's also a thing where if you watch other people do it and you just sit by the side, you're going to feel obligated to do it. Absolutely. You
2: get that peer pressure going. Right.
0: Right. And so peer pressure can be beneficial at times. (laughs) Definitely. So in a
2: couple of weeks, I'm taking our hiking group up to Great Basin National Park. And we've chartered a bus, two kegs on the bus, good times. Throwing them out the window. Right, exactly. No way, man. I got $50 deposits on those things. (laughs) When we're done camping, we're camping in in a group campsite and the bus parks in the site. And when we're done, all 40 of us go and police that site and pick up, you know, the tiniest litter, every single thing that we can find. And I can tell you, when we leave those campsites, they are immaculate. And that's something that is very important to me as an organizer is that I want to stay. I want to continue being welcome in these places. You know, we have a great relationship with land managers now in Southern Nevada, because we use the land in this responsible way. But to me, that's my duty as an organizer, you know, and for the people listening to this, if you invite your friends out to go camping, oh, I love camping so much and and I got to pull teeth to get my friends to come out there. Well, as long as you're pulling their teeth, pull their teeth to clean up the campground before you leave too. It's not a responsibility, it's an opportunity that you have as someone who loves the land to do something to help protect it. And that is, you know, to encourage your friends to treat it with respect and to help educate them in the ways that we can keep these places beautiful. There are some people that will see you
0: doing that and they'll think, oh cool there are people who come here and they do this so I don't have to worry about it. But then there are other people
2: who will say, oh that's a good idea, I should do that too. Right, Mm -hmm. right. When we do our monthly cleanup hikes, they see these 12 people hiking with garbage bags in their hand and and most of the time it's, oh thank you so much, we really appreciate you cleaning up the trail. And And when they see these bags full of litter, hopefully it puts it in mind like, wow, this litter really has an impact and it needs to be addressed.
1: I have to say, I'm pretty generally in the places that I go, which are around the Southwest, Nevada, Utah, California, Arizona, New Mexico. I'm generally pretty impressed by how well people do clean up after themselves in campsites. And generally, people are trying to do a good job. I think for me, one of the biggest fears that I have about overcrowding national parks in particular is just the number of people there. My husband and I went to Zion National Park in October of this past year, October of 2017. And I did look it up, Zion has 4.5 million visitors a year. And it's the third most visited national park in the U.S. And if you haven't been there, the road going into it it, was mm. backed up with cars for miles mm-hmm. and then we ha- we were waiting for a backcountry permit in the wilderness office and we looked out the window out the back mm-hmm. and the line of people just waiting to get onto the, they don't allow cars in, you know, actually into yeah, design it's one the, anymore. It's one of the things I about it. Yeah. yeah, but the people waiting to get, just get on the shuttle to go mm-hmm. into the park there were thousands of people waiting in line, and my husband and I looked at each other and we were just like, "Thank God, that's not where we're going." You know, we went right. we went into the backcountry and hiked the the east rim. I just that's that double edged sword that I mm-hmm. think you were alluding to earlier when you asked that question. Is it great that people are getting outdoors and getting that experience or or getting the experience of being outdoors? Yes. Are they really getting it in those circumstances? I don't know. I, I don't know. Like when I see people when I mm-hmm. see thousands of people lined up to get to Angels Landing and there's right. shoving and there's yelling and soothing. there's people listening to music. That's mm. not right. it.
0: It's a mall experience outside. Right.
1: Insane. Yeah, and it's the same at Yosemite, it's the same right. at Grand Canyon. So I think for me that's actually a little bit thornier problem. How do you solve that? And I know that Zion proposed last year a reservation system which Hasn't been decided on yet. They haven't formalized their proposal, so that's still. But you know, even with their initial proposal, they got what something like eighteen hundred comments from people saying, "No, we don't, <laughs> we don't want this." You know, right. so uh, for some... us, this for me, the solution is always just to go somewhere else, right? And that's Disperse.
2: part of the luxury we have here in Southern Nevada. You know, the trail that I mentioned earlier, Mary Jane Falls at Red Rock, or at Mount Charleston. It's a very crowded trail sometimes in the summer because it's the only place people know about to get away from the heat. But there are a dozen other trails at Mount Charleston the very few people know about where I can hike for five miles and maybe not see an, another person the entire time. And it's still gorgeous and, and amazing hiking. And there, so there are still a lot of underutilized areas where people can go. And I would imagine, I know, Jason, the places that you go, very few pe- times will you run into other people or at least crowds. If Although, you're
0: you know, I was just in Yosemite Valley. Yeah, and that's if, true. if there wasn't a huge fire on the outskirts of the
2: park, it would have right.
0: been overflowing with people. Yeah, yeah. That
2: is very true. So that's a consideration, right? There are solutions that are built in to to lands themselves, like at Red Rock, which is the, the case study here in Las Vegas for overcrowding. There's a lot of land in Red Rock that is beautiful, that is completely underutilized, that if it got some better signage, you know, you might be able to steer some users in that direction and just kind of spread out the load and let people use the land in a more efficient way. And on top of that, I read an article recently that proposed solutions, really simple solutions, as long as the land can tolerate it, like one-way hikes or loop hikes. Because if you think about it, an out and back hike essentially doubles the amount of people that are on the trail Mm -hmm. because you're getting traffic in both directions. And so sometimes, you know, just building the trails in a more thoughtful way might be able to alleviate some of this crowding. And that's part of the beauty of the shuttle system at places like Zion Mm -hmm. is you can do those one-way hikes because you can just catch the shuttle at the other end where you don't have that option necessarily in a car. But
1: I want to say something about that. Those are all great ideas, better signage, better trail design, better trail maintenance, all those things. The, even just advertising and marketing, right? I know mm-hmm. that I, I spoke to the area manager for uh, Spring Mountain National Recreation Area a couple weeks ago, Don Christensen, and he said because of the wildfire risk in the, in the national forest there, they're very interested in getting people to disperse and not just continually use all the same areas. So even just advertising and marketing on their part, on the Forest Service part, could help that. Mm-hmm. But the problem is if you suggest that to anyone who works for those agencies, They roll their eyes, they laugh, they're super exasperated because they Don't have the resources to do much more than the absolute bare bones basics that they're doing right now.
0: Also, Mm -hmm. if someone shows up and say they're trying to go to Yosemite Valley Mm -hmm. and they're told, it's really packed, why don't you go down to Sequoia National Forest? It's really great down there. Instead, they're going to say, no, we want our picture Mm -hmm. at Yosemite Falls. Right. Right. We want
1: the selfie there. But one thing that, again, your listeners or people who care or want to do something about this, something very concrete that you can do is get involved as a citizen, use your right to vote. Use your ability to educate yourself on legislators at this at the local, state, and national level who support greater funding for these initiatives and vote for those people. If this is something that you care about, find out how your state is managing this problem. I mean, I can tell you that, for instance, the Trump administration has proposed a 13 percent cut to the Forest Service. I want to make sure I got that right. Yeah. <laughs> <The four. laughs> Sorry, no, it's the National Park to the National Parks. So that's less funding. So 13% cut, I'm sure I don't I don't have in front of me the direct impact that that's going to have. But you Mm -hmm. can imagine they're not going to be able to do more. If you lost
0: 13, (laughs) anyone listening loses 13% of their wages, pretty big impact on their life.
1: And they have an $11 billion backlog in projects that are proposed that they need to get to right now that they can't get to. And those are the things that make it easier to disperse populations. Things like parking lots and restrooms and Mm -hmm. signage and all of that. So again, if if this is an issue that you care about and you'd like to see people spread out a little bit more, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. You need to vote. with <laughs> You need to kind of put your money where your mouth is. If you're not willing to pay state taxes, then don't expect your state parks to have better signage.
2: Yeah, that is absolutely true. You know, there are a lot of things that we can talk about during this podcast that are nice pie in the sky ideas that, oh, I wish government would do this. I wish the land managers would do that. And the only way you're going to get that sort of reaction to Heidi's point is to vote in legislators who make that a priority, who are willing to fund that. I definitely like these ideas. What I wonder about is is again, you know, what sort of things can users do, can land users do, to to help that. So for me, you know, it's almost a natural evolution as a hiker, where you start out. I just want to get my picture in front of Yosemite Falls, and then as you hike a little bit more, you say, well, you know, I wonder where this backcountry trail goes, and and I wonder what's over there, and you wind up, I think, naturally finding yourselves in the less populated areas. I know now when I go to Red Rock or Mount Charleston, the popular Las Vegas hiking destinations, that's front of mind for me is how crowded is is this trail going to be? You know, where do I want to hike? Where I'm not going to be overrun with people. I mean, you talk about Angel's Landing at Zion. I can't imagine what it's like. Well, right now, technically, it's closed because of the flooding. But, you know, going across those chains when there's literally hundreds of people trying to get through these sections of the, of the hike. There's no way that that's an enjoyable experience.
1: Well, yeah, and a 13-year-old girl who was with her father fell to her death yeah, in the, people in the past every few year. months. Yep. You've got to wonder if it's partly because it is so crowded and you just can't right. pay as much attention as you probably yeah. should on a piece of trail that's like that. That's the hike that. that
2: gets all the publicity, but I'll, for my, you know, personally, I think observation point on the other side of the, uh, of the canyon is better views, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get the publicity.
0: Yeah. I think another thing to keep in mind also, other than just the fact that people want to visit places they've seen or heard about, and they want to they want to see in person this amazing place they've seen on the internet or the news or in a magazine, there are other things as well, right? We're talking about a lot of people who, this is a, a rare, rare occurrence. I'm going to go right. out into mm-hmm. nature. Nature is frightening. I don't know how to function in it. There are animals and plants that could be dangerous to me. Mm-hmm. Don't know how to read a map. I don't know where where anything is in this location, so I'm gonna stick with where the bus tells me to go, where it will take me, where people here tell me to go, and how do we deal with that situation? How do we help those people kind of move past that so that they can become incorporated into what's going on instead of all going
2: to those same spots that are easiest to get to. To me, it has to be outreach and education. For our local uh, magazine, Desert Companion, I'm an outdoors writer for them, and I try to tell people about these places that are off the beaten path, other places they can go that are comparably beautiful but don't have the crowds, and I get pushback for that. As you guys can surely imagine, I know, Heidi, you've probably gotten it as well, people don't want their favorite places publicized, and to me, that's just a sacrifice you have to make, and there are a number of reasons for this, right? First of all, as we've been talking about this entire episode, is it distributes the load, and that's that's crucial. But also, we want to make sure these places stay protected. Like here in Nevada, we have an area called Gold Butte that was recently made a national monument. Right? It's a national monument, right?
1: Either depends way. on whether you ask Secretary Zinky or not. <laughs> well, <laughs> and to that point,
2: right? And that's exactly right, right? So right now it's a national monument. It may be. Yeah, it shrunk. is. He's just. Yeah. It may be, as he of this singing. recording. As yeah. of this recording. Right. Exactly. You know, I think part of the problem that Gold Butte has in terms of its conservation effort is very few people go out there. It's rough roads okay, to get out.
1: But I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt, but no, I'm just going to I'm going to interject there. So Gold Butte is actually a perfect example. Gold Butte would be a great overflow park, right? To, mm-hmm. to kind of get some people out of Grand Canyon or Zion or Red Rock, for instance. It's a little bit farther it's about mm-hmm. an hour and a half drive to the nearest points in Gold Butte but Gold Butte is a perfect example mm-hmm. of why people don't do that and why funding is necessary because I'm sorry I know I'm going to get angry mail about this from the Friends of Gold Butte but the roads out there are terrible
2: they are and absolutely. there are
1: no, there are no parking areas there's very little signage some of, some of the signage is starting to show up and some mm-hmm. of this is planned already to come as part of the national monument designation as it was before the the designation it's not accessible. So it's back to that point you were making earlier, right. Jason. Right, People mm-hmm. are afraid of it. You know, it needs to be in a tourist brochure, in a hotel. It needs to have clear directions and a drop-off point. It needs to have a friendly-looking mascot. They need to know that there's going to be tour buses going out there and all that kind of stuff. And right now, Gold Butte doesn't have that because Gold Butte doesn't have any money. Or very little. Not right. enough to do all those kinds of things. And that kind of points to something else, which I think is from a 30,000-foot view, very important to solving the problems that we're talking about, and that is looking at outdoor recreation as an economy. It's part of the tourist economy. If you're willing to invest in it, it is going to help drive some tourism. There's a lot of dispute about the numbers, about how much they've been fudged, but I think in any case, most people agree that if you've got a tour bus operator and you've got some hotels and you've got a cafe and you've got a gas station, those are all businesses that are going to make money off of people going into Gold Butte, but that has got to get a little bit of a oomph. you know it's got to get mm-hmm. a jump start. You've got to have the infrastructure there for people to go out there, right?
2: And for legislators to feel, or legislators rather, to feel that it's important, people have to go out there and fall in love with it. You know, people have to decide that it's important to them. And to me, that's our duty. All three of us are in media. That's our duty as outdoors people in media is to facilitate our listeners, our readers falling in love with these places. And you mentioned people not wanting to share
0: places, wanting to keep them hidden. I think it's as simple as this. Do you want to help control how people find out about this and what they do with it? Or do you want to obliviously let other people decide because if they're going to find it. Whether you tell them or not, someone else knows or will know.
1: And The other thing is that, as you guys have experienced also, there's plenty out there. I have a couple of favorite spots that I rarely talk about because I they have special sentimental attachment for me. But Spell otherwise <laughs>
0: Don't be a hypocrite.
1: <laughs> I'm part of the problem. No, but otherwise I the thing that I don't fully understand about that argument about, you know, not giving away your secret places or whatever is that there are millions of them I mean, there mm-hmm. is enough outdoors for everyone. You could put half the people going to Red Rock out at Gold Butte and it would still be fine you know it would not it, right. it would not be overrun. and so i just and there are 20 more places like those two around the southwest i mean there's just there's plenty out there so mm-hmm. worry less about that worry less about your favorite place becoming overrun right. and worry more about your favorite place getting sold off for oil and gas exploration by the BLM to private developers. I think people need to weigh those, you know, outdoor enthusiasts who tend to be secretive that way. I think that's the choice that you're really weighing there.
0: If some people come in and trash an area and you have to do a bunch of cleanups, that is preferable to a mountain top is blown off so that it can be excavated and
2: turned into natural resources. Yeah, we have another new national monument here—the fossil uh, Tule Springs.
1: Tule Springs is that a
2: monument or?
1: No, 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 it's not a national monument. Well, whatever it is, it's some (laughs) sort of area that's set aside
2: for conservation, and it's right on the edge. Of Las Vegas, and there are amazing fossils out there. But before it got set aside for protection, there was also a ton of trash out there. There was like people uh, read their shooting ranges. You know, people were utterly destroying this land. The people who knew about the fossils in that area were trying to keep it secret. And the problem with keeping it a secret is that people see it and they say, Oh, well, that's just a, a crap hole where people shoot their guns, and who mm-hmm. cares about that place? And it wasn't until word got out that hey, we have these amazing fossils, and there's mammoth bones, and there's all these great finds that finally peaked cared enough to pressure legislators to protect that land you also have to include people in some way right because mm-hmm. if you're just like there are great
0: things here we have to protect them you can't go there ever again right. then, <laughs> then people don't care but if it's okay right. there there are all these cool things in here we're gonna go in we're gonna send some people and they're gonna find out about them and we are going to share them with you mm-hmm. right then suddenly it's a thing people can care about and yep. become part of
1: yeah, yeah. and at Tule Springs they did a really great job of that partially because it's been developed within the last few years using some of the latest Thinking on how to approach this, but it's going to be a completely interactive exhibit. So there's a live archaeological dig going on there that you can walk by and observe. Which It'll,
0: is a super cool thing to exactly, do. Absolutely, exactly.
1: And some really rare finds have been made out there. Think about the educational opportunities and the Instagram opportunities. You know, like think about. I mean, people are going to want to do a selfie that. With an exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like you're going to want a selfie next to the mammoth bones or whatever. And and I think we also need to be really conscious of anytime we're talking about public lands and how they should be used whether it's for hiking or exploration or protecting or setting aside or opening up to the public I think we need to also be really conscious of the fact that a lot of those public lands have very strong ties to Native American tribes and that we should include them from the beginning 100% and that their voice should count for way more than anyone else and that's, I'm, that's an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting into the opinion realm here but I just I feel very strongly that a lot of the trails that we're on, a lot of the areas that we're in, there's also a religious component, there's a cultural component, there's a historical opon- component that we need to be cognizant of before we start talking about what we should do, quote unquote, with mm-hmm. the with those areas. I think we need to be cognizant of the predecessors and the you know the original people on those lands. So, if you're listening involved.
2: to this. Uh You know, in your earbuds or or however you consume the Go Get Outside podcast, your call to action is to immediately tell everybody about your favorite spot and then take them out there so that they can love it too. Yeah, I I support that.
0: Yeah. So one of the things we've, we've been mentioning throughout... Because we're talking about small things we can do, and of course, there's the larger overall picture, and it all comes down to educating people, right? Personally, I think a lot of that is shifting the concept away from a disposable society, this idea that disposable is a thing that exists, which it doesn't. Any resource you use and then throw away is a resource that's no longer available. Mm -hmm. We have to change people's minds about that, which is a huge task. I think that will directly link back into making people take care of things when they realize, oh... I wanted this plastic spoon and it cost me this much more valuable resource in the end. There's that. Uh, There's what we've all talked about, which is teaching people to love the outdoors and not fear it and to be part of it. Right. I'd like to hear what solutions you guys think could be put in place. Something that I can't control that I think would be very valuable is most schools have a PE program where they teach you to play basketball and maybe archery and swimming. And I think it'd be great to include a component in there that teaches people how to camp and build fires and clean up spaces outdoors and be land stewards. Seems like it'd be a perfect fit for a PE program. So anyone listening that has any control <laughs> in that regard In a school, see if you can integrate that in your physical education program. But what ideas do you guys have about improving the education and sharing this information with other people?
2: Well, starting when people are young is key because every year that goes by that a person is not educated in outdoor ethics is a year that they have the potential to go out and destroy more public land. Not necessarily maliciously, but just ignorantly or apathetically. So here in Clark County, there are programs that get youngsters out on the trail with trail guides and with park Rangers who can You know tell them how to hike responsibly they're very underfunded obviously and underutilized but but that's something you know that is happening public speaking you know being a speaker in a classroom and telling people about oh i'm a hiker you know i have an outdoors podcast and i'll come in on career day and tell people about my outdoors podcast or i'm a writer who writes about the outdoors and i'll tell people about that on career day everybody knows teachers you know while they are very busy there are certainly days where having a guest speaker come in might be a nice break you know there are opportunities for just rank and file listeners to the podcast to educate the people around them. There are always opportunities for that. And there are things that you can do that are that are small, and they don't seem like they're having that big of an impact. And the problem with things that are small is that they're easy to do, but they're also really easy not to do. And so when you see somebody cutting the trail, that's, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to take somebody who you know is destroying the land and to hopefully help them not do that anymore. And when you go out hiking with your friends, that's an opportunity to talk to them about stewardship and just to say oh you know look at what's happened to this trail over here this is a bummer and this is because people are cutting the trail and so we got to be careful not to do that. You know just a little innocuous thing like that can turn that person from somebody who's degrading the land to somebody who's helping to preserve it.
1: Well I'll just say what I'm planning to do the most recent backpacking trip that I was on I had a moment of guilt actually where I was looking at the other people on the trail and I was thinking wow this is really still kind of a privileged person's sport. My husband and I I had a constructive conversation about access and decided between ourselves that what we're gonna do in the coming year is find ways to get more kids on the trail personally. There are programs through the county and the city that take kids out on trails, but I also think that volunteering individually for Boys and Girls Club or Big Brothers Big Sisters and finding opportunities to take kids, especially kids who might not have the opportunity otherwise because their parents can't get them out there or they live in a part of town where it's just, you know, it's just not accessible to them or whatever. Just finding opportunities to get kids out on the trail, your neighbors, your son or daughter's friends. kids from the school, your kids, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or whatever, volunteer, try to find a way to actually take a kid or a group of kids out, you know, give them that experience firsthand. And then while you're there, talk to them, get to know them, bond with them. And, you know, some of what you believe and some of the values that you cherish are going to maybe rub off.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And a fantastic way to, to find that audience. That's certainly the way that I have found that I never expected is through me. Meetup. meetup is such a valuable tool for getting people together of common interest. You know, our meetup group in particular, Vegas Hikers, we're now 20,000 members strong. Some months we have over 100 events a month where we're getting all these new people out, people who would have just gone to the trail on their own, and they're coming out and hiking with a group and learning responsibility and learning stewardship and falling in love with the land in a more responsible way. You know, with Meetup in particular, we ran afoul, or when we first started really exploding here in Las Vegas, we ran into conflict with the local land management agencies because they'd see this huge group. And so, oh my God, how are we gonna absorb all of these new users out in the land? What wound up happening is they got to know us and they saw that we were using the land in a responsible way. And sure, we'd have 15 people out on a hike, but those 15 people were coming in four cars instead of 15 cars. None of them were cutting the trail. And it seems overwhelming sometimes to the land management agencies to see these groups coming through. But the fact is, we're actually less destructive on the trail than if everybody had come out there on their own and less destructive on the environment. And the people hiking with us are less likely to, to stumble off trail and wind up you know, getting lost and, and going up the hillside and, and things like that. It also takes away some of that fear we were
0: talking about oh, because now absolutely. there are other people
2: who can go with you and help oh, you. no doubt about it. Yeah, there's no way some of the people who hike with us, you know, they would never hike on their own mm-hmm. because they don't have that sense of direction or they don't have, you know, the wherewithal to get out there on their own and to do that. And so for me, Meetup in particular, because of its low cost, because of its broad reach, has been a godsend for sharing this love of the outdoors that I have with all these other people. It has been, it's huge here in Las Vegas. It has exploded. There are so many hiking groups now on. Meetup just here in Las Vegas. And I know that happens in other communities as well. And for your listeners, it's really easy to start a Meetup group. And even if you start modestly, you're doing something that you love and sharing that thing that you love with other people. And that's what Meetup is all about. And that's what it's been for me. That's why I've met so many great people through Meetup. That's how I met my wife was through Meetup. Uh, Mind you, it is not a dating site. It is very explicitly (laughs) not a dating site, but when you start out with that common interest of something that you and this other person both really love, you know, relationships are naturally going to grow.
0: This podcast probably wouldn't exist in the form it does without meetup groups. The reason I know dozens of Canyoneers Mm. instead of two is because I found a meetup group that Klaus Gerhardt started years ago Mm. in Southern California to get Canyoneers together so that people could start Canyoneering which has made that sport explode and because of the relationships I've built there and elsewhere, has Led me to people like both of you and Mm -hmm. the various other people who eventually ended up on this show. Exactly. So, yes, yes, Meetup is a great way to move past that fear and meet people with similar interests and start to pursue things that you're interested in doing. And even if you
2: don't have the interest to start a Meetup group, join Meetup. Go out with people who, again, share that passion that you have, and you're gonna wind up learning new things as well. You're gonna learn new places. You're gonna learn more about stewardship and that from people who are already doing it.
0: And and you both were mentioning about bringing people outdoors, and like Alan, you were saying, take someone to your favorite place, and Heidi, you were saying, you know, volunteer and take people out. And, Mm -hmm. And to add to both of those, Take someone who doesn't do those things, who maybe is reluctant, and then take them to a place that you know they can't help but like. Introduce them to it. Ease them into it. Because if you scare the crap out of them, (laughs) you're going to fail in your mission. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. if you bring them there and you you show them in a way that they can enjoy, Mm -hmm. then maybe they'll want to do another thing and then maybe they'll do another thing, and then maybe you'll have opportunities along the way to help teach them how they can be responsible, and then they can help teach other people how to be responsible.
1: Along those lines, I would say try to look for opportunities to take someone who doesn't look like you, because it does tend to be intimidating. I, I spoke with a woman for a story that I was working on last year who said that she has an entire hiking group made up of women who frankly would not go out with a lot of hiking groups, a lot of your stand quote unquote you know traditional hiking groups because they want to you know they have their nails done and they have their hair done and you know they're they're wearing flashy track suits and they're out there for an experience that might be different from yours. They might have had a barrier to get over to be out there because they don't want to be judged because they don't look like the majority of people who are out there. So I strongly encourage your listeners also to look outside of their bubble and outside of their comfort zone for people that you don't normally see on the trail. I mean, people who are differently abled, people who are not your gender, people who are not in your age bracket, the elderly. It just... Look outside, look for people who don't necessarily look like you. I think we really need to expand the idea of the outdoors beyond just being a white person of privilege sport.
0: <laughs> to add to that, it's really easy for everyone to grab social media and then talk about all of the detriments caused from it, but there are a lot of benefits to it as well, including things specifically like re- like what you're talking about. There are, there are groups that have formed through Instagram, Twitter, and various other places and hashtags that people can look up, like mountain chicks and various things, which are specifically about taking people who are in groups that maybe are afraid to go do these things on their own for valid reasons and bringing them together so that they can inspire each other to go do things beyond anything they maybe could imagine they would do in their life.
1: Yeah, think about how intimidating it is for a person who's 100 pounds overweight to do a two-mile hike that's mainly, you know, that has some elevation gain and loss. Absolutely. And at the same time think about how much that person might benefit from it. You know, that's just one example. I really believe that we have to kind of get outside of what we traditionally think of as an outdoorsy person. Mm -hmm. The outdoors is for everyone. And everyone
0: And we don't all have to interact with it the same way no, no definitely. And,
1: and and you can't you can't tell by the way someone looks or what their capabilities are what their ethics are going to be in the outdoors too. some of those folks that don't look like you might be your potentially strongest advocates for the kinds of things that we're talking about for conservation cool. and preservation no you doubt. Know.
2: critical conservation action is taken off the trail You know, so somebody who is differently abled or somebody who is, you know, can't hike that much can still be a a very powerful advocate for the outdoors. That is absolutely, absolutely true. And that's no barrier at all. More to your point of, um, you know, people who you wouldn't think would be outdoorsy or out on the trail, in my own personal experience, when I started with Meetup, I was very overweight. I weighed about 290. I struggled like crazy on those first hikes and, and to just get moving. And thank goodness I found people who were willing to Wait for me and willing to be patient with me. And now I'm bagging peaks and hiking the Mm -hmm. summits and, you know, going off out into the wilds and all this stuff. And I've lost about 80 pounds thanks to hiking and thanks to being a mailman. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so, yeah, in the summer you sweat most of it off. So yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, you can look outside your comfort zone and if somebody says, hey, I'm really interested, you know, even not even that, not even. People don't necessarily have the courage to say, oh, I'm really, what you're doing sounds cool. I'd really love to go do that. Just saying what you're doing sounds cool, there's your opening right there. You know, when that person says to you, oh, look at these pictures you post on Facebook. I would love to see something like that. There's your opening right there. Take them out with you. You know places that aren't that hard to get to, that you can take this person out and help them take those first steps to falling in love with the outdoors. Be that person. Be the person who brings them out and starts this process.
0: You may also have friends who start contacting you and asking to go. And instead (laughs) of thinking like, oh crap, I don't want to deal with, bring them. You yeah. don't have to bring them every time, right. mm-hmm. but you also don't have to do some rad extreme thing mm-hmm. every day exactly, and every yeah. weekend. Yeah. So one one weekend, you know, bring your, your friends who haven't done that. And then sometimes what'll happen is you'll find out you actually have more fun going with the people who mm-hmm. haven't experienced oh. it because they remind you why you liked it so much Absolutely. before you got used to doing it all the time.
2: Yeah, completely. So I met my wife on the trail. For those of you who heard my first go around on Jason's podcast, uh, you'll know that my My wife and I met hiking and now uh, she's disabled and she can't really hike anymore. Just a couple days ago, I took her up to Mount Charleston to get her out out of the heat and out into the wild and she really can't hike anymore. So we did a hike that was less than a mile and it was pretty flat and I had to push her a lot of the way. And then we went and did another trail that was about a mile and it was wheelchair accessible. So I pushed her in the wheelchair. It was such a rich experience. You know, these viewpoints that I normally would just drive right by, we were able to go out and really soak in the outdoors. But then after that, we went to this meadow where from my experience, going up to Mount Charleston. I had seen wild horses that are right near the road, and so we drove to this meadow and she was able to walk out. I tell you, as soon as she hit that meadow, she was maybe 20 yards out into the meadow and a colt walked right up to her. It was the most amazing experience, and I haven't seen her smile like that in so long. And this was something that, yeah, she can't hike like I hike anymore but still getting her out there and letting her enjoy that experience. Forget how much fun she had. I know she loved it. I loved it. You know, even though I'm normally out there trying to hit those peaks, just being up there with with somebody else who enjoys it, it's magical, it's rewarding. And it's rewarding for everybody.
1: And since Alan's getting mushy anyway, um, on a similar note and kind of circling back to the way you started the conversation with Jason, I would also say that I feel like people in the in the current political climate, just the the way that things are in our world right now, where people seem to be staking out sides about everything and they're very polar opposite sides. Yes. You know, there's you kind of can't help but miss Us and this. Them. Mm-hmm, yeah, right. there's a lot of that. I think that there are more more, more people craving common ground and civility than we realize if we watch cable television. Mm -hmm. I think that the outdoors is a great opportunity to just get to know people on completely Mm -hmm. (laughs) non-controversial terms and to enjoy something in, you know, I've met people on the trail that I don't share political views with that I might differ with on some key political issues, but this is a an opportunity for us to get to know each other as human beings and to share the things that we have in common, which I think a lot of people are craving, frankly, Absolutely. right now. And it's also an opportunity if you, if you are inclined to change people's minds or sway opinions, there's no better way to do that than by making friends with someone, by hearing them out, by finding common ground and I just think that the outdoors and conservation in general is an opportunity for that and I know that there's plenty of people who would disagree with me there but you know when you think that hunters and anglers band together with Paiutes and environmentalists to save certain areas all over the United States of America I think it shows that it doesn't matter whether you're a registered Democrat or Republican, you might see eye to eye on on the trail. And if you
2: do find that person who you really connect with, Just so you guys know, you can find me on Facebook at Nevada Scenic Weddings. I'm a licensed (laughs) officiant specializing in outdoors weddings. Just putting that out there.
1: I feel like I failed. I haven't gotten one plug in (laughs) yet.
2: Well, you mentioned
0: Desert Companion. (laughs) And now that Alan has derailed the entire conversation. (laughs) So we've talked about a lot of things and I think we could probably keep going for hours and Mm. hours and hours. To sum it up, we have this wonderful natural environment that we all can benefit from. It is our responsibility to protect it, and share it, and Agreed. by sharing it, help protect it. One other way you can do that, besides all the things we've talked about, is to assist organizations that are doing that or at the Mm -hmm. very least donate money to them. Some of those are groups such as the Nature Conservancy. If you are a climber, there's the Access Fund, which not only takes care of areas, but also tries to maintain your access to those areas. Mm -hmm. If you're a canyoneer, there's the Coalition of American Canyoneers, which does similar things that the Access Fund does for climbers. And then there are multitudes of other groups that I'm probably not aware of that maybe you guys are that we can also share right now. Uh, Heidi, this is probably
2: more your wheelhouse. I know you're tied Uh, in with some of them.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of. Loathe to promote "quote unquote" uh, organizations <laughs> as a journalist, but I would say that there are—I I did mention Friends of you Nevada Wilderness slide a piece earlier. Slide paper to me, and I'll say. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, I mean, there, there are, there are so many. Just Google it. You know, Google conservation or preservation. Sure. Google public lands.
2: Whatever your favorite spot or area is you can almost guarantee that there is a conservation group that is geared toward preserving that specific area.
1: Yeah, I would say for grassroots movements especially if you Google friends of and then the area that <laughs> right. you're interested in in working on, uh, that's a great place to start. But yeah, there, there are lots and lots of organizations. Sierra Club obviously mm-hmm. is one. And um, the land management
2: agencies know who those groups are as well because they work hand in hand with them. So for here, if you didn't know about Friends of Red Rock Canyon, you can actually just call the Visitor Center and say, hey, what groups do you guys work with to do conservation out there? And they'll yeah. list off however many there are. And the,
0: the other benefit too is if you get involved with those groups, you will find out about new places that you're yes. not aware oh, yes. of.
1: Absolutely. They're, they're your best sources for the secrets. <laughs> yeah. But friends groups are, are really great grassroots place mm-hmm. to start for sure. That's, those are your true believers. <laughs> yeah.
0: So before we wrap up the show, we've talked about what everyone can do to kind of help the environment, but we've got both of you here on this show. And so maybe people think, Oh, these are two people I really like. I want to hear more from them. Sure tell us where people can go see some of your work or find out what you're up to.
1: Since I'm a staff writer at Desert Companion, you can go to mm-hmm. desertcompanion.vegas and see my regular work there. I am also occasionally on State of Nevada, which you can find at knpr.org. And on Twitter, I am at Heidi Kaiser, H-E-I-D-I-K-Y-S-E-R. I'm also on Facebook and I'm pretty easily accessible there. And I also have my own website, HeidiKaiser.com.
2: And for me, I'm mostly on Facebook. You can find me, Alan Gegax. that's A-L-A-N-G-E-G-A-X, as in X-ray. And my Facebook profile is 100% public. You're welcome to send me messages. I get messages every now and again from people who've heard me even on your podcast, which <laughs> is really cool. <laughs> yep. So I get that. And then we also have Vegas Hikers has a presence on Facebook as well, so you can find that. And you can find me through Meetup at Meetup meetup.com slash Vegas hikers
0: and occasionally on who wants
2: to be a millionaire uh, yes that <laughs> is oh, yeah, true. that's right yeah, yeah.
1: I, my life is weightless glamorous <laughs> <on that. laughs>
2: and I also write for Desert Companion magazine so you can find me there as well
0: and so now we will sincerely wrap up the show so what we'll do here is let you guys leave the audience with a final thought
1: I am going to come back to that thought that I mentioned earlier just so that you can have it tattooed on your arm <laughs> or uh, embroidered on your backpack take only a pictures leave only footsteps
2: if you've listened to the three of us prattling on for this long then you are definitely a person who loves the outdoors and is passionate about it i would implore you just to to share that passion you know and people will reach out to you in subtle ways and you need to grab those opportunities with both hands and make stewards out of the people around you as well just by letting them fall in love the way you have
0: and with that i think we'll call it a show Thank you both for coming and doing this. Thank you so much
1: for inviting me, Jason.
0: So this is just a reminder to all of you listening out there to go and do your homework. Share your favorite place with someone volunteer and if possible introduce someone new to the outdoors to the outdoors especially if they are someone different from you and now is the time to go to our website gogetoutside.com look for this episode 74 the roundtable discussion on human impact and there you will find photographs of our guest and links links to places where you can get involved and or donate to worthy outdoor causes and then also links to our various guests Find out where to follow along with Heidi's adventures as she continues to report on these sorts of issues and keep up with her each day on KNPR's State of Nevada, where she is producing and hosting that daily show and follow along with Alan and join his meetup if you are in the Vegas area. And a reminder to head to Nevada Scenic Weddings if you are looking for someone to officiate an outdoor mountaintop or destination wedding in Nevada or surrounding areas. And I implore you now, get in touch with us here at the show. I want to know what you think about this in previous episodes. I want to know if you want to hear more about topics like this, if you have opinions on topics about this, if you have opinions about the things we said. There are numerous ways you can get in touch with us. You can always send us an email, go at butcherbirdstudios.com or head to the nearest phone booth and leave us a message at 818-925-0106. And while at it, use some sort of computer device to head to your podcast purveyor of choice, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show, and share it with someone who you think would want to listen to today's discussion. This episode of the Go Get Outside podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by me, your host, Jason Milligan. It was co-produced by Alan Gigax, and as always, brought to you by Butcher Bird Studios. Next time on the show... Come back December 16th, last episode of the year, and listen to a Grand Canyon explorer who has spent nearly three decades in the canyon, Rich Rideau, December 16th. See you then.